I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So, Audrey, another Tech 5 radio upon us. I get very excited when we get behind the mics, especially when we're hanging out in our podcast room, the Huntington Bank podcast room with Tech 5 radio. I know. So much fun. I love it. It's exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. But you know what's more exciting, though? The Carnegie Science Awards. No, coming right up. May What's 10th. the date of the Carnegie Science Awards? May tenth. Yes. May tenth. Someone just piped in. Yes, exactly. And whose voice might that be? I'm sorry, I thought you were talking to me. We were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we were. Uh, I'm Jason Brown. I'm interim director at Carnegie Science Center. Yeah. Hi, Jason. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for so having me. May tenth, and it's going to be located at. Uh, for the first time ever at the Science Center. I know. In the PPG Science first Pavilion. time yeah. ever. And it's very exciting. Bring it home. I know, which is great. That's really great. I'm yeah. excited to see the new event space that you guys have. Mm -hmm. I haven't been over there yet. It's amazing. It's really incredible. I think it's, it's cool. Yeah, it's 10,000 square feet. It's got 20-foot windows looking out over the point and the Duquesne Incline so you got a view. and the river. Oh, you, you feel like you're on a boat? Uh, you feel more like you're in a treehouse, actually. Yeah, oh, and there's wow. a big patio that's four stories up, and it's just it's a great space. So much fun. So what's in store this year? So Carnegie Science Awards, for those of you that don't know, is really um, – they're awards that uh, recognize exceptional science and technology innovators that are making a difference in western Pennsylvania. So we have a few of them. We have quite we a few. Quite it's amazing few. how many we have. We actually had over 200 nominations this year. Wow. We had to narrow it down to 17. So only 17 winners. And mm -hmm. some of the winners I'm really excited about because before we came on air, we were talking a little bit. And we're saying this is a, 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 such an important event because it, it's a night to really honor some really hard work. Some mm -hmm. of these women and men that are, that are you know, winning these awards, they don't get the limelight too often. That's true. And it's a great way for them to kind of validate what they're doing. But on top of that, it's letting the whole region know that these people are doing this awesome work. And some of those people are like our board chair, Jason Wolf. Right. Wolf I know. LLC. How about that? Entrepreneur of the Year. Like, I know. Isn't that exciting? That's so, very exciting. I think he's renting a very special tuxedo for this. As am I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about some of the, the finalists or winners. Well, so Jason Wolf is one of them. Yeah. Um, and he's really been an investor in the Pittsburgh's business community for over 25 years. Um, he is the founder and CEO of a bunch of tech companies um, that really focus on the coupon and gift card space. Right. That's his bread and butter, man. It, it really, really is, including giftcards.com, which is the, actually the largest online retailer of gift cards. But mainly he's committed to boosting uh, Pittsburgh's business and technology communities, which explains why he's you know involved with the – Pittsburgh he's our board Tech chair. Council. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that tipped the nod in his favor this year, right? He said, yeah. oh, he's board chair of the PTC. He's right. got to be the winner, It's right? probably why I'm here <laughs> talking to you as well. Exactly. <laughs> now you know how the system works. Well, we've been long partners with you guys. So. No, I know. Yeah. I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm We're just, just being funny. <laughs> yeah, so um, another one is uh, a man named Harold Rickenbacker, who's a Ph.D. candidate in civil and environmental engineering. Um, and what he's focusing on is indoor air quality. But instead of just focusing on everywhere indoor air quality. He's really focusing his efforts on improving it in the lowest resource neighborhoods of Pittsburgh. So he's oh, wow. he's really trying to pay it forward and use what he's learned and what he does really well to make a difference in the community in which he lives. That's why I'm saying it's so I cool know, to be able to talk about some of these people who are doing that. I know. It's because it's not just about building businesses and being right. an entrepreneur, but it's about it really is about making a difference 
in Pittsburgh. And what's great is that the people who choose the award winners are peers of these folks. So they're past award winners. You know, the Science Center isn't involved in specifically picking the winners. It's right. people yeah, there's from, a bunch of folks that get into a room. Yeah, That's great. exactly. And they so duke much it fun. out. Yeah. Well, who's going to win. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's a cage match. Are there any other winners <laughs> the only kind of match there is, talk about? Sure. Um, so uh, some years, not every year, we have what's called the Chairman's Award, and it's only given years when there's someone who's really exemplary. So you've got to stand up and like, wait a second, we're breaking it out. The right. Chairman's Award doesn't come out every year. It doesn't. Um, and, and this year it went to Remake Learning. Um, ah, if nice. If you're familiar with Remake Learning, nice. they're really a, they're a network builder, and they nice. have over 500 right. participating organizations, and, and they're really committed to changing the whole educational landscape of Pittsburgh. We just did an Emerge podcast with Remake Learning. Really? Our friends at RoboMatter a few weeks ago. They're and, pretty amazing, aren't they? Uh, yeah. I mean, their, their model is being copied around the world mm-hmm. in yeah. order to bring you to, to get the right curriculum and, and learning models and things like that. It's very exciting stuff. Well, and that's one of the great things about the Carnegie Science Awards is that the people and the companies that you'll hear about and that you meet if you attend, they may be based in Pittsburgh, but their work is being replicated everywhere, mm-hmm. and they're, they have global influence. So to see these things really grow and bloom here, but then to, to be recognized on a global scale is, is pretty amazing. Another one, is, yeah. another example is 412 Food Rescue. You were reading my mind. I wanted yeah. to bring that one up, and Play you did. Lizaranda. That's great. Exactly. And what they're, what they, the award they won is for information technology because what, what's really incredible is that they've developed this app, and the app connects restaurants that have extra food with, uh, with um, nonprofits who – who are looking for they it. They need the food, so it's... Exactly. It's right, so they... What did they win for Tech 50 last year? Startup of the year. Startup of the year. I they know. won Startup of the Year last year for us. Really? Yeah. Uh, they're they're incredible. Yeah. They're and, another and organization she, and, that's and, making and a huge difference. Leia's been growing that. Like I said, she's taking it to other areas, mm-hmm. I think, like, like Philadelphia. Philly and, and Cleveland and San Francisco. And, and they all come in here from Pittsburgh, which I, is why it's so cool to have the Carnegie Science Center being one of these icons of Pittsburgh take a night out on May 10th yeah. to put a spotlight on these men and women. Right, and not only do we put a spotlight on them, but it's it's just a really good time to. There's a lot of there's 500 people that show up. It's a great place to network. We have a silent auction with all kinds of stuff. And Ooh, tell us about the silent auction. Those are always a good draw for a crowd. Well, they are actually. Um, so every I try and put something in each year. I'm a hobby woodworker, so one of the board members and I are making um, Adirondack chairs this year what? to put in the put. But there's all kinds. There's you know there's. Trips and um, I want some Adirondack chairs. I know, on yeah. right? they're pretty slick, actually. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Oh, because you made them, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, not to toot my own horn, but boy, they're impressive. And, and he guarantees no splinters. Um, <laughs> I don't think that our general counsel would let me do that. He finally sands them. But we have we have sports memorabilia, and we right. have all yeah. kind, we have you know wine and booze, which everybody likes. So it raises money for a good cause. It raises money. It, it, all the money actually goes to support the science center's education program. Gotcha. So we have you know we have programs in the schools. We have programs that run throughout the state. Um, we have programs that are fee for service, but we are, we are always trying to underwrite those costs right. because we really have a mission for equity and inclusion, and we want to make sure that everyone has access to the things that we can bring to them. So it's not just a matter about money. We want to make sure that we can go to the schools that have the the least, the fewest resources, and this right. helps with that. So, Jason, I tell you what, every year Ron and Ann would always stop by, Ron Bale and Ann Metzger, to mm-hmm. talk about it. And now you're the new interim, and I'm, I think the Science Center is in some great hands. I think you're bringing some Thank cool you. energy to the organization, and we're excited to have you there doing what you're doing. And Thanks. we're excited to be part of these, of these awards. And uh, so what else can we tell our listeners to look forward to? I mean, obviously, tickets go quickly. First off, they go to uh, CarnegieScienceCenter.org. Yes. And there's an awards tab on the corner there. Click that, and you can get tickets there. Yes, you can. 
Um, and we would encourage you to, you know, bring your friends and, and uh, just prepare to come and have a great night out. There's incredible food and there's um, – It's an view. amazing view. Yeah. It really is. And what's really incredible is the opportunity to get to talk to these people. We had an, on, uh, an announcement ceremony a couple of weeks ago and just having the opportunity to hear what these people are doing and yeah. and speak to them in person about the – they're really inspiring. You know, it's not just exactly. about hearing um, – you know the, the specifics, but they're really inspiring and passionate people. And what we do at the Science Center is try and inspire people to be the next generation. And so coming and having the opportunity to talk to these people is really uh, a big piece of that inspiration. It's great stuff. And the PTC is proud to always be hanging out with you guys. You guys are great partners. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's all great. part of what we do. It all knits together very neatly and very nicely. So we're glad to be hanging out. And yeah, thank you for coming over and hanging with us. Oh, you're practically next door. We look- I know. We're like neighbors now. I know. I know. It's true. It's great. Uh, we love having you nearby. We're, it's a great neighborhood to be in. We should mm-hmm. do lunch more often. Though. We should, right there. <laughs> At the Federal Gallery, <laughs> yes, right across indeed. from our podcast studio yeah. here. I love it so much. So thank you so much for stopping by, Jason. Really appreciate it. Cannot thank- wait for May the 10th. Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely great, great stuff. Audrey, we've got a great show in front of us. We have uh, uh, John Dick from Civic Science stopping by for a double deep dive. Uh, That'll be a lot of fun. And we also have our friends from Trustpoint stopping by as well, too, to talk about AI and translations. We're taking a quick break. We're coming right back. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Russo. Learn more about us at pghtech.org. Follow us on Twitter at pghtech. So glad to be in this studio here with Audrey Russo from the Pittsburgh Tech Council in our podcast studio the Huntington Bank podcast studio, Audrey. I love hanging out in here. It's too much fun. Way too much fun. And we got a great guest in the house. We do. We have Jim Moore with us from Trustpoint. The company, the name sounds familiar. And I know it's because you guys are, you're, you're more Pittsburgh than people would ever know. We absolutely are. Uh, we are actually created from the combination of Echo International and Confluent Translations. So two local translation companies now working together under the name of Trustpoint here in Pittsburgh. And how long has Trustpoint name been in Pittsburgh for now? It's, we're going on two and a half years. So relatively relatively new. And you're kind of new to Pittsburgh as well. Like you are kind of made this your secondary city, for lack of a better term, right? Exactly. My, my home base is, is the New York City area. However, uh, I manage this business, and our hub is here in Pittsburgh. And Love so it. I've had the privilege of being able to spend uh, a lot of time out here, and I enjoy it every minute of it. Great town. Very cool. We'll take your endorsement. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm really excited because you guys are working on some leading-edge technology. I know Audrey's going to love this because mm-hmm. when it comes to all things AI, artificial intelligence, it's just amazing how this is just transforming so many industries, especially the translation industry. Yeah. So, so talk about um, your view and how AI is transforming you know, machine language, uh, machine translation, this whole sure. global business. Well, again, our business is rooted still in human translation, basically. And that's, you know, where translation has been for since it began. Right. Uh, but what's really interesting and exciting right now is the fact that the there's a, an evolution occurring where machine translation quality is getting to the point where it can, in some cases replace human translation for an initial translation of content. So today what happens is you'll have a human go through a first pass, aided often with translation memory, okay, and then you'll have an an editor go through and polish the initial translation. Well, what the AI is doing is it's allowing machine translation 
as I mentioned earlier, to really get to the point where you can have the machine do that initial translation and then have the human come back and do what we call post-editing. Now, I want to be clear, especially some listeners may right away jump to the conclusion and think that I'm saying that it's better than human translation. No jumping yet. No jumping yet. We are not there. No. <laughs> we are not there. No, it's, it's, again, it's a process. But as with many other things right. regarding um, tra- uh, technology in general and AI, the speed of improvement right. keeps increasing. Right. Because if you look, artificial intelligence isn't new to, the, to today. I mean, we've been trying to attack it for a long time. But now we have just so much data that we can play with and that we can extract from that there's lots of opportunities to figure this out. Well, and even now, what you know, in, in some of our literature that we're looking at, you're even seeing terms like unsupervised machine translation. I know. What does that mean? I like mine supervised. Like Thank you very boys, much. Like a bunch of bad boys finding bad words. You're talking about yeah, potentially. No, but you've got a you've got a a neural network of machines that have been exposed to a growing amount of content and as a result of that exposure and the processing power of that network the machine is learning without any direct human involvement. So accidental learning? Well, so you could say that perhaps or smart learning. In smart learning, intentional accidental learning. Yeah, intentional I, I, accidental learning. <laughs> Wait, we're recording now, new. Now I'm confused. I, I'm just trying to. <laughs> That's right, not I'm in our white paper, to, but you know, maybe it should that be. There's opportunities for this information to be collated and collected without any discipline to it. Uh, there's the potential for that. Yes, mm-hmm. as these networks get more powerful and get smarter all the time. Uh, it may it may be helpful just to step back briefly and look at, talk briefly about the three phases of machine right. translation and put this in context. So originally, and we're going back, it's surprising how far back it goes. As early, like here in Pittsburgh, right. in 1989, we had at uh, Carnegie Mellon, we had uh, early attempts to create machine translation. And uh, this, then later on, um, we, we had a, a method, excuse me, a method of translation that was called rules-based translation began. And it was very uh, straightforward. If this word says this in this language, then it'll say it in that language. That was the rule. As you can might imagine, it didn't take into account context. It didn't take into account uh, double meanings, et cetera. It was really a dumb translation method. Uh, In the mid-'80s, you began to see a replacement with what's called statistical machine translation. And as the name implies, it was an attempt to really bring in more technology and use that technology to essentially teach the uh, machine translation software to recognize a source file in one language and then using statistical probability uh, render it in in a target language. And that involved lots of research, again, places like Carnegie Mellon and others, MIT, etc. And uh, then eventually, with the advent of these really powerful computing networks in 2014, and Google was real driver with that, uh, you began to see the, the uh, artificial intelligence and the machine translation merger. So we're talking to Jim Moore from Trustpoint. And if people want to learn more about this, because you have a great white paper here that people want to go nerd out on, where can they go and, and check out this white paper? I know it's on your website somewhere. Yes, it is. Our, our website is trustpoint.one. 
And uh, if you click on that website and go to the translation section, yeah, uh, you'll be able to find it uh, very easily. It's a very compelling white paper. I mean, you have graphs, you have timelines, you got everything there. I mean, you can really you can sink your, your teeth into this. And, and so, I, if yeah. people want to use TrustPoint, what, what what problems are they looking at? What are they trying to solve? Well, I, I should say again, TrustPoint, the parent company, right, uh, is really a service solutions provider for the legal market. You're talking about electronic right. discovery, mm -hmm. talking mm -hmm. about hosting of documents, uh, uh, review of documents, managed review of documents, court reporting, and more, most recently, uh, staffing, legal staffing. The translation company that I manage resides within this company and provides translation solutions both to that legal marketplace right. and to the corporate marketplace. And with the corporate marketplace, you're talking about companies, some of the big uh, Pittsburgh companies, listeners would know PPG, uh, Alcoa, Arconic, etc., who are who have global workforces, right. and they need to communicate both with their employees and their customers right. in as many as thirty to thirty-five languages. Thirty-five on their website. I mean, even on their intranet sites. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, external, internal product materials, marketing, you name. So, it. what's on the horizon for you? Well, I think that, uh, again, the way we run our business today is we have a very large database of individuals all over the world whose job is to translate language. And I think what we're seeing is this these people today do initial translation. And I say, again, that we have a second human being editing that. And then you have the polished end result. I think where the marketplace is moving, and some of our clients are even driving this with us, is to take the machine translation do the initial translation there and have that human being a post-editor. So like with other aspects of AI, it's not necessarily that the humans are going to be completely eliminated from the picture, mm -hmm. but rather, like for example, in an in a, uh, automotive factory, the robots may be doing the assembly, however, the humans are doing the quality control right. on the back end. They're making right? it good. Exactly. And I think we're seeing the same thing. Again, I want to stress we're not there now, uh, but that's clearly the direction we're headed in. It's fascinating stuff. I really encourage everyone, go to you know, TrustPoint.one and uh, go to the Translations tab. Check out this white paper. It's fascinating stuff. I just love seeing all aspects of AI. Like here in Pittsburgh, we are the HQ for AI, and it's within translation as well, too. Absolutely. absolutely. You've got you know, Google here uh, in Pittsburgh, and they are on the leading edge of uh, neural technology. Very cool stuff. Jim Moore, thanks for hanging out with Thank us here on so TechBot. Thank you so much. Thanks, both of you. Hey, we're taking a quick break. We're coming back with a lot more Tech Vibe Radio coming from the Huntington Bank podcast studio here at our headquarters at Nova Place. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Busso. Audrey, we'll be right back, I swear. Go to pghtech.org and learn more about the Tech Council right there. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Tech Vibe Radio. We are coming at you from the Huntington Bank podcast studio here at our headquarters at Nova Place at the Pittsburgh Technology Council. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Russo. Audrey, do you not like hanging out in our new podcast studio, doing the show from time to time like this? Hardly. Hardly? Mm -hmm. I sense no enthusiasm coming from <laughs> <It's quite nice. laughs> You like the color scheme going it. on in here? Yeah, it's great. The black and the gold and the green for Huntington Bank as well, too. So just saying. It looks good. <laughs> it looks good. It looks good. So John Dick is in the house, founder, CEO, Civic Science. 
Good to be here. It's great to be here. It's great to see you. Right on. It's, it's been a while. Five six years ago, I think the last time, maybe even longer. That you've been on the I show, think it's yeah. It's been a while. That's like it's Audrey, good to see your face. When Audrey reached out, she's like, "We haven't had John on the show in forever." I know. Oh my God, you're right. So we like, She emailed you immediately. He was like, he "Get on the show." That. He knows I know where to find him. He's he's in there napping around exactly. trying to build a, a big company in Pittsburgh. Working on it. So, John, give us give us your historical pitch and take us up to the current. Well, how about I start current and go back to the beginning? Of so, course. I could always count on John yeah, saying the inverse of whatever I asked him. So uh, She did it on purpose anyhow, just to make it start this way. Civic science is a new breed of – to the outside world, we're a new breed of polling company, um, which is what we always set out to right. be 10 some years ago. Um, it's taken us a long time to get to the growth spurt we're at now mm-hmm. for lots of – reasons. Um, but I take a lot of pride in the fact that we haven't really pivoted the company. Right. We just had to wait for some certain things to come our way. And we'll talk about some of that later, what kind of what's changed around us that's made the business work. Um, started the company 10 years ago or so, try to evolve the world of polling survey research. When I, my past life, I worked a lot in politics and we engaged pollsters a lot. And during that time, the, even 10 years ago, it's hard to believe the majority of polling and survey research was still done by landline telephone. Right. You know. And the uh, problem was landline ownership started plummeting. Now it's around 40, 45% of the U.S. population even have landlines any longer. People do you not, have a landline? I was going to say, it's that high? Yeah. I thought it was like 4% or something. I think a lot of people point. still have them because it's like bundled. It is bundled. Well, that's why well, I have well, mine. Well, I had the number, but I don't have a phone actually yeah, plugged in. Us too. Like, <laughs> us too. Because the only people that call it are... Robo yeah, and those, yeah. those dang polling companies. Right, right. <laughs> so the problem that pollsters ran into is that the people who have landline phones don't look like the people who don't have landline right. phones, and so the research got screwed up. And so then pollsters said, that's fine, we'll just call cell phones because everyone has a cell phone. The problem is people don't answer cell phone calls from numbers they don't recognize. Right. Exactly, and right. The people who do don't look like the people who don't, and therefore right. you had rotten data. <laughs> I'm yeah. sensing a problem here. Yeah. Well, then it evolved again to what are called survey panels, which are pr- probably 90 to 95 percent of consumer research today and a, and a fast-evolving set, uh, portion of political research are done through what are called survey panels, which are these websites people sign up at or apps that they sign up at, and they basically get compensated for answering surveys. Right. Um, Rewards or points are actually straight cash if they engage. I always go for the straight cash myself. Mm-hmm. Probably should. Problem is, same problem. People who sit at home and answer surveys all day for five bucks don't look like the people who don't right. sit at home and answer surveys <laughs> all day for five bucks. Right. So <laughs> huge amounts of error. Right. We don't talk a lot about that because there's lots of business being done, billions and billions of dollars of business being done, and, and hundreds of billions of dollars worth of decisions being made based on that flawed data. So we knew that and felt that there was a, an opportunity to collect what we'll call attitudinal and lifestyle data um, at Internet scale, which hadn't really been done before. Not thousand-person samples, but millions and millions of person samples. So we had this really clever idea 10 years ago to go out to websites. Um, at the time, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette was the very first one who had a poll in, in their uh, I re- content. I remember. Mm-hmm. So polls that were in articles or on the website that people would answer for fun, you know, or now like quizzes you see on BuzzFeed or mm-hmm. Facebook that right. people, you know, what Simpsons character are you or whatever. Tens of millions of people answer those polls and quizzes every day just for fun to see some result at the end. And we started to study why and how and could we optimize for that or whatever and learned pretty quickly that there were some best practices to get people to answer more. 
So we started going to some websites and said, hey, if you let us take over those polls on your website, we can get more people to engage with your content. And we actually charged them for that back in, at that point in time. And then what we realized really fast is more and more publishers allowed us to take over that experience that we were beginning to gather a lot of really useful data about the people who answered those questions and started to see some interesting patterns and likes and dislikes. And Anyway, so we figured at that point what the ultimate business model was going to be, which was figuring out a way to harness all of this data from this vast network of media properties that we had done partnerships with. Problem is, it took us a lot longer to get to the kind of scale that we needed to be able to do the things that we do now today, which is to build products on top of that data. Um, the data had to not only be large and robust, but it had to be what we call in survey industry representative. It had to look like – it had to solve all those problems that right. phone pro, the phone pollsters and panel pollsters couldn't solve. So it wasn't until about – you know almost 2013, 14, that we started to see that, like, wow, we can actually predict stuff with this data. It actually works. Yeah. 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 So what are some mm-hmm. things that you're, you're, you're predicting? When were you realizing, like, wait a second, this is actually doing what we think it's supposed to be doing? Well, we predicted that Rich Fitzgerald was going to win, and nobody else did that. Really? That was, that was sort of the first, and he would say that if he was sitting really? here with me. Really? Okay. We were, the only ones that, we were the only ones that predicted him to win when he won. And, um, in fact, it's uh, funny Another Democratic pollster is on our, uh, an investor in our company. He's not from, he's from Alabama. And he actually um, was studying that race too and was looking at our data and said, your data's wrong because so-and-so is going to win. And he said, I wouldn't publish this. <laughs> I wouldn't I publish wow. this. Yeah. Interesting. So we didn't publish it um, at, his, at his urging, but we did send it to a handful of our Democratic friends and said, hey, just so you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just so you know. So I didn't, I didn't even pay <laughs> attention. Awesome. I didn't even pay attention. You know, being sort of out of politics at that point, um, we didn't even really pay much attention to the race. And in fact, election night because it was like an off year. Yeah, it was an off year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of went to bed and didn't think anything about it. And I woke up the next morning and my phone was just buzzing and buzzing. You're and like, buzzing. wow. Yeah, yes, I we know. predicted that. I of know. course, of course. I know. So that was kind of the fir- one of the first like. So that's like transformational, right? In terms of of it. Yeah. And so, how, how did you capture that data? Know what kind of questions were, were being asked? That was pretty straightforward. Okay. I mean, who would you vote for? Who would you vote for? Okay, it was, yeah. it was simple. I mean, fairly okay, straightforward. straightforward. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. But we were getting like huge sample numbers, right? It was again; yeah. these weren't like these were forty, fifty thousand people samples, right? And, the, and these are people that would normally wouldn't take. They're, not, they're not the professional poll takers, and they're not people that have a, yeah. a, a home line, yeah. for lack of a better term. Interesting. Now, ironically, we don't do any political polling today. Um, really? Zero. Oh, wow. That seems like this, this would be a, a big part of your business. Huh? Yeah. We don't do a single penny of it. A um, couple reasons. One, because there aren't many pennies in it. Um, it's a cyclical business. You generally have to pick a side to uh, be a pollster okay. in politics. And we don't want to do that because actually the commercial side of our business has grown so fast that if we – It muddies those waters up a little well, bit. Well, and, and, you know, the 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 – Lines between politics and commerce are blurred today like they've never been before. You've got companies taking political stands and political right. people supporting companies and vice versa. And if you pick one side, you may lose half the commercial Correct. business too. Right. Yeah. So we made the choice not to do that. The other thing is we learned um, that kind of horse race polling, like who's going to win, who's going to lose, it's not good. It's not good for humanity. It's not good for – That's an interesting point. Speak about yeah. that. What well, does that mean? It doesn't – 
it's not only is it not a public good, it's a public ill. So what good are we learning from a month out who, of an election who people think is going to win? What, I don't know. Serves no benefit. It, what benefits, Why not? It benefits, Why it serve benefit? It benefits donors who are trying to right. figure out where to handicap their money. Right. And it and it and it benefits the media companies who are looking for you, trying to get you to click on an article or mm-hmm. watch their TV, their news program. Right. It doesn't do anything good for society. Um, and in fact, it, if anything, it could convince certain people not to come out and vote because right. they think they, they, yeah, they, they don't I've understand. read about things like right. that exactly. Yeah. Like they think the election's over because a month out, it's so and so is going to win. So yeah. why why even right. go vote? So it actually, the, the, what's happened is polls have become influences over the electoral process instead okay. of just a reading of it. And and again, the the media companies and the others who propagate them do it because it's eye candy for the readers, but it's not really doing anything positive. So, so how – I mean, so is there a collective pivot now in terms of the potential consumers like myself and you and others who are interested in figuring out where the truth is? I mean, I mean I'd there, lo- I wish there was. I wish I, there was too. Yeah, I mean I – I, I think you have a better upfront People don't view. want truth. Right, people want people want their views reaffirmed to them. Exactly, and so, it's gotten yeah. worse with this decentralization oh. and democratization of data. Tribalism is the, <laughs> is the scourge of humanity. Oh it's, my goodness! I want I want to find content that tells me what I already think. I already think it makes exactly. me feel better about right. my existing. Beliefs. I am correct. <laughs> the other thing is it's super dark. And the other thing that's happening is because of that, then we're getting it's pushing people into very kind of binary camps. Because um, for two reasons. One, most people, it's easier to think in us versus them. You know, Steelers, Ravens, whatever you want to call it. Um, today, like the big one is socialist and capitalist, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, are you a socialist or are you a capitalist? Right. No, right. No There's one nothing is, in between. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and, and it's minus. absurd because like pure, pure capitalism is as evil as pure <laughs> right. socialism. socialism. Right. Exactly, exactly. And as soon as you challenge somebody with like what pure capitalism looks like <laughs> with zero consumer protections and zero – right? Like, <laughs> OK, OK. We recoil. And so the debate's really about which – what shade of gray we're all trying to settle on in the middle, but no one wants to talk in those terms because it's complicated. Absolutely. The other, the other, and the media doesn't want that either because it's, and this is a fairly controversial point of view that we have, but um, the media benefits by having us in two camps. They don't want us in five because if it's just Fox and CNN vying for one of two groups and there's okay. just a little bit of movement in the middle, that's a hell of a lot easier than them trying to buy for seven or eight or ten groups. Absolutely. So this is some interesting stuff. We've yeah. got to take a break in about a minute and we're coming back with more from John Dick from Civic Science. I'm just so mesmerized that it's been ten years since you started this company. Tell me about how it. You have, you're aggregating some crazy data and, and the way you're using this is just mesmerizing to us. And we can't wait to talk to you more about this after we come back. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Buso. We're from the Pittsburgh Technology Council. We've got great members like Civic Science that are part of our organization helping them succeed. Learn more about us at pghtech.org and follow us on Twitter at pghtech. We'll be right back after this quick break. As promised, Audrey, we are back with John Dick from Civic Science here on Tech Vibe Radio, coming from the Huntington Bank Podcast Studio. We love hanging out in the podcast studio when we don't have access to the KDK studio. So it's great to be here. And John, so fascinating talking with you. So glad to have you here. Glad to be here. Love yeah. talking about it. So let's continue from the conversation we had a few moments ago, and let's talk about the consumers. Yeah, let's stop talking about politics. Yeah, um, it's bringing me politics. Down. We can do that. Yeah, yeah. I know it's funny. It's just like a. 
watching a train wreck. It's like a natural gravitas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like I was saying, I mean, all of our commercial business is, is what we would consider consumer market research. So looking at, you know, studying thousands of different topics we ask about every day um, and how they're interrelated to one another and how those things are affecting the broader world of, you know, media and brands and advertising and financial services and healthcare. And it's amazing when you study, you know, there's probably 130, 140,000 questions in our database at this point, how you find things that are related to one another that you wouldn't have expected. But that's exactly what our clients want from us is like, tell me about some force in the world that's affecting my company or my consumer right. that I'm not studying. If I'm, a, if I'm a market research person at you know, Burger King, there's somebody there whose job it is just to study breakfast all day long, right? And they forget. I would love to have that job. <laughs> yeah. Or actually, maybe even more narrow than that, there might be a person who's just studying like breakfast meats. Oh, like, my gets God. That, I wouldn't get, want that job. <laughs> yeah, it gets that. It gets that narrow. And, and it presumes that, like, the Burger King customer, who Burger King's not a customer of ours, but our client of ours, excuse me, but um, it, it, it ignores the fact that I spend 99% of my life outside of Burger King, right? And they spend so much time studying the, the one minute I spend in their store. Right. Um, so so we're, our goal is our job is to kind of look at this broad um, panorama of data that we gather and help inform these companies about things they don't see around the corner. And and so our clients are a really broad mix of, you know, big device companies like Apple or Sonos or oh, wow. right to yeah, all of our it's all large national brands mm-hmm. for the so most Apple's part. a customer. And so, they, and so when they come to you, do they know what problems they're trying to solve or what sort information of. or are now, you helping them? They seldom come t- to us knowing what they need. Um, Oftentimes, so we publish a ton of content from Mm -hmm. our platform, so blogs and articles and newsletters and so on and so forth. And those have gotten really large circulation around the world of marketing people. And so generally what happens is some marketer will see something we wrote with a point of view about something going on in the world, and they'll call and say, hey, we really need to understand how this trend is affecting our business, and that's how it starts. But we work in banking, so we've got Bank of America and PNC, and we've got healthcare companies, and we've got, you know, large restaurant brands. And so it's really kind of category agnostic what we study. Oh, we study all of those categories, but really what's valuable is understanding how those categories relate to one another. So we've a big turning point for us was in 2015 or 16. The restaurant industry was really struggling um, unexpectedly because historically restaurant spending, I'm talking like big national, like QSR. Yeah, mm-hmm. big old guys, right. Restaurant spending is historically closely or, inver- or inversely correlated with fuel prices. Um, when rest, when fuel prices go up, restaurant spending goes down, and vice versa, because they affect everybody. You got to fill one tank or the other, right? Right. It's kind of one. It's one and one a of our disposable income. Well, for the first time in like eighty years, restaurant spending was in decline, and fuel prices were also in decline, and it had never really happened before. People were panicking Uh, then. Well, they were just trying to understand why. Well. Long story short, what we found was that it was very closely correlated with the advent of the Affordable Care Act. Um, which came around right at, at that point in time. This entire, this massive wave of people who'd never had to buy health insurance before now all of a sudden did, and that was a, it was a oh line, that is crazy. It was a line item in wow. their, it was a line item in their budget that never showed up before. And guess what? They the first thing they cut was going out to eat. Exactly. And um, I'm going to stereotype because stereotypes are real time saver. But um, the people who were the were first-time health insurance customers also fit the profile of the kinds of people who tended to eat at those fast exactly right. So and because they were high consumers, high of- consumers of QSR, right? And so it just sort of everyone's like, ah, aha! And it actually got better 
because it really is a particularly profound problem in the first quarter to two quarters of the year when people have deductibles and things by the second half of that right. we saw the restaurant. And, we're, and so right. now that's become sort of a new normal in the restaurants. So do they actually follow that trend every year? Yeah. The first so part? We, were, we were kind of the ones to oh, discover that's that. Crazy. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. So that's the real impact because the cost of um, health care during that period of time is really high. Correct. Correct. This isn't like it was cheap. So the big things now we're watching very closely is cord cutting. It's happening. Right. In, so much faster than anybody right. predicted it would. And that's would. that's everything. That's video. That's that's just, yeah, that's it's, just the phone that we talked it's about. It's just shake. Yeah, it's basically it's mostly cable and satellite mm-hmm. that's being sort of decimated in place of right. streaming. So and what are you finding? Any any trends in there that we're finding about people, or is that just a natural? Well, it's just happening. It's ha- just happening. super fast. Right. It's happening because it's just so much less expensive, and we're finding that people are much less concerned about. You know the the menu of shows they or t- channels they have available. Really, so them. they're less addicted. To well, sort shows. of. They're just addicted to. Few, they've realized they're addicted to fewer things, and so they can pick and choose when they stream, right. as opposed to like having to buy a huge package. One thing that's interesting is it's happening significantly slower in Pittsburgh than almost anywhere else in the country. So the debundling. Wow. Okay. The, yeah. The, the the cord cutting in Pittsburgh is almost half of what it is on the national average. No is way. There any ideas as to yeah, why any that ideas is? About Sports. Oh, my goodness. Sports. But yeah. why would we be more sports-heavy well, than another town? There's other towns. Look at the color of the room that we're I in. Know, I know, mean, but there's other towns that have this. Look at the color of the room that we're in. I, mean, I get yeah. it. That was just a coincidence. No, it's okay. I mean, so it's... Come um, on. You're really doing no, a stereotype true. here. It is true. You're saying like in so Baltimore, it's, just, it's a huge it's sports less. town. We're like we the number one hockey... We're the, we're the number we one hockey... Basketball? Well, that's fair. The other, the other very simple reason is that AT&T Sportsnet, which is our local sports provider, is one of the few that doesn't have a streaming option. In fact, it's us. That would do it. See? Yeah. Wow. It's us and uh, Las Vegas and one other market that don't have a local So sport. you think it'll flip soon? It'll have, yeah, of course. Oh, I don't know how soon. Eventually, when the sports teams realize that their sponsorship dollars are going down because they're not reaching as many people. Right. But right now, we're at this kind of tipping point because... People haven't cut the cord yet, so the teams aren't feeling the pain yet. But eventually, we will we will we will tip over that edge, and it'll have. So the pressure will be on AT and T or whomever the local sports provider is to make the move. But but yeah, we're way 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 behind the rest of the country in that. Which which if if you're Comcast or Directv, you're thrilled to death about that because you're clinging to you know life here more than elsewhere. So, um, but the implications that have, has on the advertising industry, the implications it has on you know the rise of Netflix and Amazon Prime and all of these other you know, we're seeing more and more of the networks like Viacom have kind of developed their own streaming services. Disney's developing their own right. streaming services. Makes sense. It, it, is yeah. a, it is a wave that's It's coming. hard to pick. What yeah. do you pick? If you were to pick, you, what gonna are you going to use? Yeah. Well, we're up. My, we just we, – we are focus group of one. We cut the cord in December and we moved to Hulu Live. You did yeah. Hulu Live. And basically we have every single thing we want except I can't watch Penguins games on TV. See, so. I want to so cut you have the everything cord. else. I want to cut the cord. Else. I'm too afraid to still. You can get all live TV. I mean, yeah. it's every you can get every single live channel that you want except for local sports. Is that what it boils down to now? Yeah. Maybe I can't cut the cord. It's, mm. We don't even notice it. It's awesome. Yeah. Crazy That's great. Stuff. I just love the fact that here's a Pittsburgh company. I, I can't even call them a startup anymore. They're They've not. been there for 10 years. Mm-hmm. These guys are up and moving and grooving. But they, this, that Pittsburgh is home to a company like Civic Science where these are the types of trends you're picking out. Because of the yeah. data that you're collecting and you being able to analyze it. So you're growing... working with small companies anymore? No, it's all big. It's big. Yeah, right. all of our. Every, so you I... left us all in the dust. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's just to. so mo- so much of our growth because of, as we learn more and more about what our data can do, it really sort sort of benefits a company that's looking at a very large landscape of the world. And they understand the benefit of what you can do. They're yeah. like, wait a second, this and all they have, lines up. You yeah. know, I mean, most of our growth, we've grown 
or we've grown our revenue fifty percent a year for the last three years, and it's and eighty percent of that growth year over year is from existing clients. So it's expanding within the companies. Wow. So we have companies huh. that have two hundred, three hundred users of ours. But there might be some people listening that might want to reach out to you. Sure, we have right? most everyone of consequence in Pittsburgh, except for a retailer or two. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, but we're growing f- this year very fast. So we're going to up the game. So we grew that. F- we grew those revenues by 50% the last two years while cutting expenses at the same time. So we were oh, my like, God. Jeez, I wish we, really I would... wanted, we really wanted to understand sort of how to be capital efficient. And, right. and, and when we decided to start spending a lot of money, we knew where to spend it, which is a mistake I made earlier in my career. Which most people make. Correct. So we were very disciplined about that and said, okay, let's whittle ourselves down to where we need to be so that we know where to to grow and so we're hiring I think we have 10 open positions right now so what kind of roles yeah um, I think four of them are software data science so um, okay. hopefully some of your listeners and you're based in East right. Liberty as well which is a East great all place the cool to be kids are. all the cool kids are there. we're hiring some marketing we're hiring writers so we need to oh. as I mentioned earlier a lot of our our, our sales come from our content that we publish, so we're con- right. publishing a lot more content and okay. targeting it at people so um, mostly like marketing Mostly engineers and data scientists, which, you know, get in line. Everybody's trying to hire them. Right. Um, but then marketing and, and content. That's interesting to be yeah, behind those very different types of roles within your company that you need that that, that you know, landscape of talent. Mm-hmm. It's like really interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so you're having an impact, though. I mean, so I in so. many ways, you're doing some things that a lot of people really care about, meaning trying to find truth Oh yeah. in terms of a set of disparate information. We are a um, idealistic company, right. for sure. I mean, sort of being purveyors of truth right. is a terminology we use all ah, the time. For yeah, sure. It is. Mm-hmm. So with a couple minutes left, I've got to ask you this question. Ten years ago when you started this, come to where you are now, and you said that you didn't even have to pivot that much. Is this what you thought you would, where you would be? Is it different? Well, I'm not as far as I thought I'd be ten years from when I started. Okay. Um, I mean, keeping in mind, too, that was like 2008, nine. It was really rough. When it was rough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You started, right? The other the, thing, the, the biggest turning point for us in the last two years, which really has driven the business, is people care more about privacy now than they did before uh, about their data. Next, so definitely. We definitely. are not spying on people and fleecing their web browsing behavior. And What fun is that? Right. And thank you know I hate to it's perverse to say that I'm finding pleasure in Facebook's hardships, but they did open people's eyes to like to, to what was going on. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? Oh, at immense, the level? hugely. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, companies, companies we would go in and talk to a year and a half, two years. We ethically sourced, responsibly farmed are words we use a lot to describe the database that we built, and people would laugh us out of the room like they didn't give really. Yeah, they didn't care. Yeah. About like that. whatever, like, dude. I don't need that. I've got this person's credit history and blah blah yeah. blah blah. And now you're starting to see regulations pop up all over the place. And California is moving in this direction. Of course, the, Europe already did, and we're sitting like in the catbird seat because we're already there. So that is so cool. So companies in banking and healthcare and others who are concerned about responsible use of data are t- taking phone calls from us they didn't take before. So, what? what's the wisdom? Give us some wisdom from your eyes in yeah. terms of being uh, an entrepreneur. Parting thoughts. Um, it's hard. It's not all. It's not it all uh, roses and sunshine. I can, I can only imagine the it's harrowing, pride swallowing yeah. SOB. Is there? Um, yeah, you become yeah. a better person. I think so. You certainly become more empathetic, um, and uh, but I recommend it. Very cool, Go John Dick, Civic Science, CivicScience dot Thank you so much. Thanks for thanks for hanging out with us. What a pleasure, Audrey. Too My much pleasure. fun. Another tech vibe under the belt. So many more conversations like this to be had here on Tech Vibe. This particular night, we're coming from the Huntington Bank podcast studio here 
at the Pittsburgh Technology Council. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Russo. Learn more about us at pghtech.org and have an awesome weekend. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.